Welcome to episode two of Ask Jumbo, a series from the Tufts Podcast Network where I try to find the answers to questions people have about everything and anything Tufts related. On this episode, I spoke with a Tufts archivist and an art history professor to find out what kind of records and collections the university preserves and makes accessible, not just to the student body, but the general public as well. I'm, I'm Dan Santamaria. I'm the university archivist here at Tufts, and so I manage the university archives and the department that we call Digital Collections and Archives, which includes both material related to Tufts specifically, going back to 1852, the founding of the university, um, and separate collections that support teaching and research here, of which the P.T. Barnum Papers is one. We're essentially where in some ways we have two distinct collections. So there's the Tufts University Archives, which are the records of the university itself. And so records from the Office of the President, from the Board of Trustees, from the Provost's Office, down to individual departments uh, come to us because the records that people produce during their work are property of the university. Um, so that takes outreach to departments on our part, but it's a different, you know, it's a different sort of outreach mm-hmm. and communication than people who are not associated with the university. For the for the second half, the um, we call them manuscript collections here, and they're not manuscripts in terms of illuminated manuscripts or handwritten manuscripts. That Some of Tufts' largest collections deal with environmental justice and broadcast journalism. In addition to their historic value, the archives also serve as a valuable resource for research for students and professors. Hello, I'm Andrew McClellan. I'm professor of art history here at Tufts. And in 2014, I organized uh, an exhibition about Jumbo and his history and uh, wrote a book to go along with that exhibition. I was also chair of the committee that chose the artist to design the Jumbo statue that now stands on our campus. In my own case, I got interested in the history of Jumbo and Barnum because I came to learn uh, some years after I had already been on campus that there was once a museum of natural history in Barnum Hall that no one seemed to know anything about. And so I started researching that collection, and very soon all roads led to Barnum and to Jumbo, and it seemed like a story that had yet to be told properly, and I was all, all over wanting to do that. So. You know, it began with the archives here, but it stretched outwards to archives in Connecticut where some Barnum papers are, to Florida, Ringling Museum, to the Smithsonian. It's a, it's a great story that connects Tufts to some major institutions elsewhere in the country and also throws light on P.T. Barnum in a new way that uh, it really deserves to be better known, I think, our connections to Barnum is really significant, and Barnum was a fascinating individual, and so... I was quite happy and keen to illuminate some of those ties. The documents are, 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 are great. They're really important. They're, his, they're, they're na- of national importance. Uh, you know, that the history of the university and watching it grow over the decades was uh, a fascinating process. And pulling some of these characters out of history, out of oblivion in a way, uh, is, is something that we all should, you know, be more mindful of. I think, you know, we, we come from somewhere Tufts doesn't, exist except for the efforts of individuals. So uh, that was my interest, really, I think, and uh, the Barnum documents were the the richest trove. Professor McClellan shed some light on P.T. Barnum, one of Tufts' earliest benefactors, who is more famously known as the founder of Barnum and Bailey Circus, which closed its doors in May after 146 years. 
Well, he was many people in one, I think. I think he was a huckster, genuinely. He was uh, a businessman, an entrepreneur, and a, a visionary who was locked into what people want, and in some cases their, their, their weaknesses for things that they want and perhaps feel that they shouldn't want but do. So his fascination with what were once called freaks of nature, for example, and um, you know, giants and dwarfs and people that we no longer put on the stage for good reason, but who you know, I think we have an enduring fascination about. Uh, he had no qualms about taking advantage of that human fascination to, to make a buck and to provide sort of what he would have called uh, recreation. But at the same time, you know, he was a philanthropist, a very serious philanthropist. He was a, a politician who served in Connecticut State Legislature and was the mayor of Bridgeport and introduced hospitals and electricity and water uh, and did a lot of public service stuff that was genuinely good. He also donated to museums and he created a museum on our own campus. I think in that case, wanting to leave a legacy behind him that was more than low entertainment, uh, so to speak. So he was a complicated individual. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a, a hugely energetic and, and, and powerful American, you know, in some ways. He, when he died, he was probably the most famous American uh, on the planet. You can't talk about P.T. Barnum without mentioning Jumbo, who was brought by Barnum from London to Medford. What made Jumbo, I guess, more special than, say, other elephants? His size and fame. He was to elephants what Tom Thumb was inversely to human beings. So the fascination people have with size and, and the sheer wondrous quality of an enormous animal that was very rare, that he was the only African elephant in the United States, uh, was enough to draw people. And he'd become a celebrity in his own right, you know, over in the uh, London Zoo, uh, made famous through giving rides to all kinds of people, Queen Victoria's children, Winston Churchill, uh, um, Teddy Roosevelt. He was a celebrity that was almost equal to Barnum in, in, in that respect. Uh, and that was a very powerful uh, combination. And as you, you know, lots of people know, I mean, he he gave his own name, Jumbo, to things big. I mean, that word didn't exist until the elephant came along. Speaking of donations, Andrew donated some material uh, last year that uh, he had collected related to the exhibit and over time. And I th just seeing the, it, you know, it's a small representation, obviously, of what was created about Jumbo, but just seeing all these artifacts with gem Jumbo glasses, Jumbo beer bottles, Jumbo ashtrays, Jumbo playing cards, you really get a sense of how um, prominent it was. Many freshmen may venture down to the archives during orientation week and see Jumbo's tale. But this is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what Dan's team is responsible for cataloging and maintaining. Uh, well, I can tell you we have um, close to, I think, just under 8,000 boxes. So about, about that, if you counted boxes of those white sizes. Yeah, so there's about 2,600 linear feet, which would be 2,600 of those boxes. Here in Tisch Library on the first floor, we have a special stacks area. Again, it's climate controlled and secure. And the rest uh, of that 8,000 is off-site. Tufts archivists go through a process of appraisal, processing, and cataloging with descriptions. The archivists are adapting to technology and working towards building up a digital archive to complement the current largely physical one. Our whole goal is to get this material in the hands of people. Um, there's no point of it being here 
if uh, if no one's uh, no one's going to look at it. And digitization is important, I think, from my perspective, because it really broadens more democratized type of access for collections like Barnum, like Edward R. Murrow, that are really of national, even international significance. A lot of fake news out there about Jumbo, uh, so uh, which is interesting in and of itself. Barnum and fake news. Yes, he was big on the fake news. No, he he. He, he was all over that, and I don't even want to think about the parallels, but there were some. Uh, but uh, in some ways, it's good to have those legends, uh, but it's, yeah, also, exactly. it's also good to have a reliable source of information when you want it. So, yeah. And archives are where you ground yourself in, in what's factual. Like I said before, what's discussed here is just the surface in terms of records and collections. It's definitely worth a trip to Tisch to check out all that's been amassed from over the past 150 years or so. And if you can't make it to Medford, go to sites.tufts.edu DCA to find out how you can view some of the archives online. This has been Ask Jumbo from the Tufts Podcast Network. I'm Jenna Fleischer. Thanks for listening. See, we have some of these advertising postcards right here, and these depictions of Jumbo. There's also these images of, you know, anthropomorphic Jumbo as human. Um, this one is Jumbo at the opera. <laughs> there's also, I don't see it in this bunch that I have in my hand, but there's a lot of depictions of Jumbo. Jumbo.